So Daniel's chaotic sea represents the world of nations in great turmoil. And you'll see it as we work down through it. And from this great global chaos emerges four terrible beasts. Verse 3. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from the other. The first was like a lion, had eagle's wings, and I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. You'll see how that is descriptive of Nebuchadnezzar in a moment. And behold, another beast, a second like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and almost as if to suggest then on the other, it had three ribs in its mouth, so what has it just done? It's just fed on some flesh of something between the teeth of it, and they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. And we'll see how that is descriptive of the Medo-Persian Empire. Verse 6, And after this I beheld, and lo, another, like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl, and the beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. And after this I saw in the night visions as if another. Behold, a fourth beast, dreadful, terrible. This is how God sees the kingdoms of the world. We think of them as great images of strength. God sees them as dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth and it devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. <laughs> Remember the ten toes? And I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. I'm not going to go into all of that, some interesting conversation. Maybe on Wednesday night. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. What in the world are you going to get out of that? Well, the four beasts rising in sequence, one after the other, parallel. There's a parallelism in Scripture. And they parallel Nebuchadnezzar's image, which was made up of how many elements? Remember the gold, silver, brass, and iron. Remember that? There's a parallel here that happens back from chapter 2 in that image. The four metals here are described as four beasts. The ten toes there are here described as ten horns. Both images are from God. Both of them defined for us as, for example, down in verse 17. Layman Strauss wrote, Nebuchadnezzar's statue depicts world rule from human view. Let me say that again. Nebuchadnezzar's statue depicts world nations from the human perspective, right? The image was a human. Now, this image, these images in chapter 7 depict man's dominion from God's perspective. Man imagines his kingdom to be images of gold. Remember what Nebuchadnezzar did. Remember, he was the head of gold and his head swollen. And then he made a whole image of gold, right? And that's how we imagine the kingdoms of the world, and that's how man sees himself. But God sees man for what he is, brutal, terrible, 
and drifting ever further away from God. Well, the first beastly kingdom is the lion. The lion is Babylon. In fact, you'll find in, in history that the lion basically is the image of, of Babylon, the, the national image. Scripture confirms this interpretation as Nebuchadnezzar, who is referred to as both a lion and an eagle. This kingdom was both powerful, that's the king of beasts, right, the lion, as well as swift. So it was on eagle's wings, described the conquest of Nebuchadnezzar. Like Davy Crockett said, he who arrives firstest with the mostest is the winningest. Well, that was Nebuchadnezzar. He showed up on the scene with the most, and he won the world, king of beasts on earth, and in the air is a fitting description of the kingdom, the greatest kingdom the world has ever known, Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. But God remains in control. And the wings of this beast are clipped and its mortality is on display. And you remember this scene from Nebuchadnezzar when he was humbled. Remember that scene toward the end of his life? And he ate grass like, a, like an animal and his fingernails grew. And remember the humility as he was brought low? That's the image that we now see as his wings are clipped and he falls to the earth. And God remains in control. The second beastly kingdom is the bear. This is the Media Persia Empire. This is the silver of Nebuchadnezzar's image. This bear raises up, the scripture says, on one side. And it kind of it leaves it open, as I suggested when I read it. He raises up on one side, as if to suggest, and then on the other, right? And he, and he swipes, it says, with a claw, as if to suggest that he swipes with the other, again, paralleling Nebuchadnezzar's image. Why? Because what's the breastplate? The silver, and you have the two arms, right? So you've got this bear swiping with this image of Daniel. In its mouth are three ribs. What's that about? Symbolic of the three major kingdoms that they devoured or sort of swallowed up. You have Babylon, Lydia, and Egypt. It's told to devour much flesh. Why? Well, that's just an image of what the Media Persia Empire was like. They were, they were, we would call it in today's world, we would say they committed war crimes because they were, they were just nasty in the way they carried out their judgments. Well, they had a, 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 a terrible reputation for the way they destroyed people. The third beastly kingdom is the leopard. This is the Greece Empire. It's the brass of Nebuchadnezzar's image. J. Vernon McGee says, it might better be translated panther, either of which are able to leap with suddenness upon its prey. And with four wings, the speed of this creature is accentuated. It is a fascinating description of history before it happened which was fulfilled later under Alexander the Great's Greece, which conquered the known world faster than any other army ancient power in history, marching 11,000 miles from Greece to India. And the foreheads of this beast are descriptive of the empire after the death of Alexander because it was divided into four parts leading, uh, led by the generals. Greece outlasted the Media Persia Empire 
and had dominion, as it says down to the end of verse 6. Then there's a fourth. And the fourth is a little nondescript beast that comes to have some lingering prophecy that seems to still linger yet today, having some influence in the world. I call it simply the creature. This would be Rome. This is the iron or the clay clad with iron in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. More attention is given to it later in the passage. It's a fascinating uh, creature. Authors and speakers have probably spent more time upon this Roman empire than any other. Also, may I say, with more speculation than any other. We'll return to the image later in the chapter, but for now simply note that the fourth beast is altogether different from the others. In fact, verse 7 seems to suggest there's another little dream that he's had. It's like another vision that he's had after the first were described. This beast has no counterpart, and there is evidently never will be anything like it ever again. It has all the characteristics of the preceding nations, which is interesting, because every ideology of every previous nation seems to still live on in some way. It's noted for us down in verse 12. And that's why each generation, like I can remember my father, and he can talk about preachers before him, and preachers still yet today, and as the Lord tarries, every, every opportunity, every sort of conversation we have can talk about the impending nature of the Lord's soon return, because all of these things still live on, and each generation has wondered, Will this be the great end? And in fact, every modern attempt at unifying the world is simply a revival of the Roman ideal, which never since the time of Augustus Caesar has been wholly lost. Rome was never conquered. Rome simply succumbed to its own weight and broke into those ten fractions, which apparently remain scattered and can be somewhat pretty accurately identified even yet today. And as the ten horns or nations of this creature find this place in the new world order, the, wings of, or the winds of change continue to swirl over the sea or the chaos of the world until finally this final judgment, verse 9. Whew. All of that's pretty fascinating. But what does it mean to me, right? Well, verse 9. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit upon it. That what a wonderful, you know that, who that refers to. The Ancient of Days did sit, and whose garment was white as snow. Notice the description of this, this image, this person. And the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame. His he, wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands ministered unto him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the, brooks, or the books were opened. And I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, and I beheld even till the beast was slain, and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As What is all this a reference to? It's, of course, the final defeat of Satan himself cast into the lake of fire. And concerning the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, well, that's the Lord Jesus, came with the clouds of heaven, there's his return, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. 
And there was given him dominion and glory and kingdom, and all people and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Daniel, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. And I came near unto the one of them that stood by and asked of him the truth of all this, and so he told me. And he made me to know the interpretation of these things. These great beasts, which are four kings, which shall rise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and forever. And that's the final judgment of the Lord. Daniel's vision has now shifted from an earthly scene of these beasts and these kingdoms to something heavenly. We have not yet gotten to the great tribulation, but this is a preparation for the time of God's judgment when he returns to establish his kingdom. And the one who will sit on the throne is called, verse 9, the one who will sit on the throne is called who? This final kingdom and throne is called, verse 9, who? The ancient, the ancient of days, right? He's lived through all the kingdoms of the world. And he comes and does not judge by what someone else has told him, secondhand information. He now judges as a first-hand account and eyewitness to all the kingdoms that have ever been on the earth. And his judgments are not questionable, but are absolute as suggested by the description of his appearance. He wore garments white as snow. Well, that's the holiness of the Ancient of Days. He had hair like pure wool. That's the wisdom of God. His throne was like a fiery flame. That's the finality of his judgment. And his wheels are as burning fire. None will escape the final judgment of God. Well, this sets up the world scene then for the everlasting dominion that's there in verse 14. Verse 12 makes it clear that the dominion of each of the previous kingdoms is swallowed up by the next. So you have each one being swallowed up by the next and will exist, this last one will exist completely on its own, will share no authority with any other, and will not be like any other on earth. The kingdom of heaven is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. But before you can get to the everlasting dominion which will never pass away are the judgments upon the earth. We know them as the time of the great tribulation, climaxes with the second coming of Christ. The ensuing judgment of Revelation 20 is in heaven. We know it as the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgments takes, takes place at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, which that's not yet the eternal reign, but this, this thousand years, at the end of the thousand years, there's a brief uprising. A brief uprising, still yet people, even though the Lord Jesus Christ has been on the throne of the world, there still will be people that will rebel against Him. That's put down quickly. And then the, then the great white throne judgment, the ensuing judgment, and the last judgment is carried out by the Most High, verse 18. And he brings with him all the saints at the close of the millenniums. We've had some conversation in our Bible study on Sunday morning. All the saints come with 
Christ at the end of the millennial kingdom when that brief uprising comes. Revelation fills in many of the details, but Daniel chapter 7 gives an outline or an overview of events yet to come. We can see those 10 nations still on the horizon. That sets the stage for the emergence of the small horn. What is that? That's the Antichrist. Again, just summary as I read through it. That sets the stage for the coming of the large horn. Verse 21, who is that? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's followed by a thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. At the close of that, a brief rebellion squashed by the Ancient of Days, who then will establish His everlasting kingdom, verse 22. And to this eternal kingdom, the Most High brings all the saints. Saints of the Most High, middle of verse 22. Saints is a New Testament term referring to all those who have ever believed in the Lord Jesus. Paul wrote unto the church who are called saints. The psalmist and others use this term saints as to describe all the people of God. Oh, oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, Psalm 31. In the end of time, it will be the Most High who will establish his rule and make his way for the saints of all ages to receive and possess it. This is the new heaven, which we've been looking at in our morning Bible study. The new heaven and the new earth of Revelation 21. Because the first heaven and the first earth are passed away. And there is no more sea. Now that can be literal, but it is obviously figurative as well. There's no more striving of the nations coming down from God out of heaven. The tabernacle of God is then with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. Those are saints. And God himself shall be with them and will be their God. And I love this phrase for a lot of reasons. I'll give you one of them this morning. And God, Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. And God shall wipe away all, what? Tears. We've had some conversation in Bible study about memories in heaven. And I would just give you this as a perspective. Think of how terrible it would sound if the scriptures said, he will erase your memory. Well, that just, wait a minute, what? That would just sound terrible. But what are the things that tears are made of? Your memories. I don't know that all memories are gone. The scripture certainly, Jack will get into some of them, suggests that we'll know as we're known there's some something of familiarity. I don't know what that looks like. But I do know that the tragic memories of this life are erased. And what a beautiful way to say it, by simply God shall wipe away all tears. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And verse, verse 5, and he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. Revelation 21 and verse 5. But in the meantime, the winds of change continue to swirl all around us. And there's a fierce imposter 
that shows himself, verse 19. And I'll just, again, summary reading to the end of the chapter. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. Verse 20. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other that came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn which had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his other fellows. And I behold, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days, God himself came, and judgment, the great white throne judgment, was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came, and the saints possessed the kingdom. And thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth. So now we have this Roman Empire that still is there, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down, and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them. And he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. And he shall speak great words, which the Most High, and shall wear out the saints, because the saints increasingly will be the, the target of attack by the world. He'll wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hands until a time, a year, and times, two years, and the dividing of time, half a year, three and a half years. But the judgment shall sit. So the, this, this uh, ancient of days, in his judgment, he will sit. And they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it to the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Remember, the saints of God are brought with him at the end of the millennial kingdom whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here, too, is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my conjugations much troubled me, my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. What can we keep in our heart that will encourage us from all these terrible things that we've read, among the most, if not the most asked question when people study the Bible is, who is this Antichrist? And that takes on a lot of clever but futile forms. People have identified everyone from the Pope to previous presidents. And I even read where one thought it was Henry Kissinger. So there's a lot of speculation out there. Do what? Yeah. But I don't think the characteristics of this fierce imposter are specific enough to identify him ahead of time at his birth, even as was the Lord Jesus. On the other hand, when he begins to arise in power, there will be no mistake who he is as confirmed by this prophecy. First of all, we know he's going to be a compelling individual. Verse 20, uh, verse 20 says he had eyes, and that is a reference to the insight and wisdom. You ever look in somebody's eyes, you just know they're bright and, and, and just attractive, and they draw you in. Verse 20 continues, a mouth that spake very, very great things. 
verse 25, and he shall speak great words. Uh, Revelation 13, and there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things. In propaganda, he will have the power of compelling speech, and public appeal will be on his side. Daniel 11, verse 25 says, he will come peaceably, that's at the beginning, and obtain kingdoms by flatteries. We saw that last week, the weakness that comes by flattery. We also know that he's commanding, verse 20 says, uh, whose look was more stout than his other fellows. Revelation 13 says, and all that dwell upon the earth whose names are not written in the book of life shall worship him. So he's a, a commanding personality. He will stand out head and shoulders above the crowd. He will be handsome and winsome and command attention. When he walks into a room or a situation, he will capture everyone's attention with charisma and charm. Give us that man, and we will elect him. In fact, the human spirit is so desirable of such a man, we will overlook his faults and believe his lies. Finally, notice that he will be controlling. Verse 21 says he made war with the saints. He even prevailed against them. He had the power and was given unto him. And uh, for these 42 months, he will subdue the whole earth. Verse 24, he will even subdue three of his own major powers, consolidating them under his own leadership, giving him the ability to have absolute rule in the world. He will wear out the saints. What a phrase that is. He will wear out the saints as they become the target of his hate. He will even get away with changing laws, times, maybe the work week. I don't know. But he'll be able to change a lot of standards that we've lived our life by. And he's allowed this absolute control for that year, two years, and a half year. Three and a half. It fits in perfectly with Revelation's description of 42 months. The Antichrist will have his way for the second half of the tribulation, but the end is in sight. And the judgment that we saw is prepared and will sit, that is, in judgment. God will call court to session. He will bring about the end of the time of the Gentiles. The German treasury after World War I, it was low in gold. It had no way to balance its budget. Inflation was out of control. And the German mark was valued at $4 trillion to one U.S. dollar. Remember the phrase in the Bible where it says a piece of gold or a bag of bread could buy a piece of gold. So the devaluation of currency, the middle class, I hope you understand the importance of a middle class. The middle class will be wiped out or was wiped out following World War II in Germany. They were ready to listen to anyone who would help solve their problem and enter into this scene, you can think later of another, but enter into this scene, Lenin, who was the first to say the surest way to overthrow an existing social order is to destroy its currency. Just throwing that out there for your thoughts. The world is once again ripe for a charismatic leader who can bring order to our increasingly chaotic world and who will promise to abolish poverty. As the UN declared, this goes back several years, but it's in writing. I have read it myself. I couldn't believe it when I read it. But as the UN has declared, give us such a man, and be he God or the devil, 
we will follow. All of this sets the stage for the rapture. When the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, in the midst of all the swirling news and chaos of the world, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And in this and every ensuing election season, as we're coming up to it next week, And while the winds of change are blowing and the future looks less and less certain, what's the theme of Daniel? There is a God in heaven who sits upon the throne. He has revealed himself through the Lord Jesus Christ, and those who trust in him will have everlasting life. The winds of change seem ominous, but they are still ordered by the Lord.